Blog Talk Radio. We've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again We are exploding, the world is gonna know it We'll rock it like you're never gonna see us again Come on over Come on over And a very good evening to you all It is 11.34 34 minutes late uh, And Pure Gold is live on there for <laughs> Tuesday night August the 4th, 2015. Welcome to the show that covers everything and anything, but we'll only be talking about the Mets and WWE tonight and tells it like it is. My name is Joe Pacino. For the second week in a row, Pure Gold is back. And my tag team partner and co-host, who is running late as usual, is David Gomez. What's going on? Not much, sir. Uh, listen, I don't want to hear it. This show would be nothing without me. This show wouldn't exist without me. So if anything, you're late. I called in first. Folks, thank you for tuning in. As always, the one of you out there listening, which is probably one of our dads, uh, give us a call. As always, well, actually, the guest calling number is different now, 929-477-2593. Once again, 929-477-2593. Check us out at puregoldpg.com, which has not been updated in a very long time and will probably continue to not be updated for the time being. Um, sir, what do we have on tap this evening? Well, let's just say that um, a week has passed since we talked about the Mets and some WWE talk, and um, a lot has changed in about a week. So all I can say is we have a roller coaster. I feel like I just got off a, a ride from Great Venture because with the Mets because I feel like we went from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs this year anyway because – where we left off was the Mets were uh, coming up to the trade deadline, and um, it looked like they had made a trade for your cousin Carlos Gomez from the Milwaukee Brewers, and um, that trade just didn't pan out. So let's let's break that down first because you're the one that broke the story to me. Obviously, definitely, maybe. And um, at that point, I'm sure that you were so frustrated that you were just ready to give up on the season. Well, I don't think anybody could sit here and say as a Mets fan that they thought or they really believed for one second that the Mets were going to pull through on some blockbuster move, a good move. They were going to do something that was going to make this team any good. Um, when the fact that, you know, when the Carlos, uh, oh, baby, I was about to say Delgado or Beltran, when the Carlos Gomez deal fell through, I mean, we were just, we couldn't believe it. I came home that night, Wednesday night, um, I had no idea about the trade. My brother, you know, calls me or texts me and tells me about it, and I'm like, what? So I go on Twitter, and all of a sudden I'm seeing everybody tweeting about it, how the deal's falling through, it's still going to fall through, the deal may not happen. Then I'm, you know, whatever, I'm not thinking no big deal. But then it turns out the deal, the deal did fall through, and then it turns out that, um, you know, the Mets were balking at his hip. Like, they had a problem with it. Then, of course, it made to make matters even worse, and I'll go back to the hip in a second, um, to make matters even worse is the fact that the Brewers end up trading him to the Astros the next day, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and the Astros medical staff had no problems with his hip. And the problem I had with that whole thing with the Mets was that, you know what, the Mets medical team can't even diagnose their own players correctly. They're going to come and tell another team, hey, we don't like your player, your player's got a problem, the deal was done according to all you know people, all the sources, and then it fell through. And then, of course, you know, we went into full-out panic mode. Um, but, of course, it, it came back to the Mets being cheap. The Mets not wanting to spend money because they did have Gomez under control for another year. So they would have had to have paid him next year. Um, apparently the Brewers didn't want to chip in money, and once they didn't want to chip in money, that's when the whole all his hip is a problem thing came up. So, um, you know, that, of course, uh, before we go into what did happen, sir, uh, tell me what you thought about that. Give me your take on it. Well, I mean, you, you broke the story, and – I figured it was typical Mets uh, ownership, the Wilpons, the Coupons, as we call them, were just backing out on an offer that they didn't want to sign this guy because he was making too much money. And, again, big market team, and they, I mean, they're a small market team playing in a big market. Uh, obviously, New York City is the biggest market. And um, for them to not pull the the trigger on a deal for a couple million dollars, 
again, it's not my money, but again, you're, you're the New York Mets. Right. You got to step up to the plate. Um, I feel like that. I felt like that. This was another slap in the face. I felt like they were gonna. This was gonna be demoralizing to their starting pitching, that young starting pitching. So I was really upset. And then when I, when I found out about Flores crying and the social media exploding and him, you know, being sent off, um, not taking him out of the game. I mean, the guy. I, I wish I had the the clip with Tom Hanks. There is no crying in baseball, but if the guy is crying, I mean, you got to take him out. He's obviously mentally not in the game. And um, you know, I don't know what yeah, I don't know what Terry Collins was thinking at that point because if he was trade or not trade, either way, the guy is not there and he's not going to help your team win if he's just crying because he doesn't want to be traded. He was a Met since he was whatever, 16 years old back in 2007. So I, I thought that the whole thing was a mess, sir, and I thought that that was typical Mets, and um, it was just it was awful because I thought that after you know they didn't get Gomes, I didn't think they were going to go after someone else. Because um, I thought they were cheap, and then to make to compound matters, the the Mets the following day are up seven to one against the Padres at home, where they've been dominant all year, and they they come they lose. There's a rain delay in the ninth inning, which really boggled my mind. But anyway, the Mets lose that game to the Padres, and and at that point, sir, the season's pretty much over, dead and buried. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was a lot of people on Twitter. There was a talk. The Mets were done. I mean, I thought it was a little too early to say the Mets were done, only because at that point they were only four games out. So, you know, I mean, you, you win two out of three. You know, you make up a game against the Nationals. Not a big deal. And that's the interesting thing, sir. You know, side note, you always talk about having to win two out of three games to win a series. When you do that, you're only making ground. You're only gaining one game. So, but anyway, um, I didn't think the Mets were going to do anything, but but then a, a little a little part of me kept saying, but the Mets have to do something. They can't bring this back to their fans and say, hey, we didn't make a deal. It fell through. That's it. It's over. Because they really did need to make a trade. They need to improve this team. So what do they do? They go out you know, to the Tigers. They trade Michael Fulmer, who was actually a guest on our show uh, a yes, couple yeah. years ago. I'm actually going to find out. I'm going to get the producers. Hey, Kelly, can you find out? I'm going to get them to look and see when Fulmer was on the program. Um, but he was a great guest. It was, it was cool having a professional baseball player on the program. Um, of course, that was before we got the likes of uh, Paul LaDuca and uh, my boy, as it were, um, you know, the great, the immortal, the incomparable Howard Johnson. Yeah, sir, you, we have to go back to February 17, 2012. Wow. That is unbelievable. And he was actually on with another guest who I who's dead to me, and I, I – can't stand her, but that's a whole other point. Um, but yeah, February 17, 2012. So you're talking, you know, three and a half years. Fulmer was on this team. He was drafted by the Mets. That was right after the, you know, the year after he was drafted. Um, and you know, obviously there's talent there. People kept saying all this stuff about how, you know, the Mets, the Mets, uh, you know, they don't trade any guys and they don't do this and they don't do that. But you know, this guy was drafted. This guy has talent. You know, he's a good pitcher. People didn't know who he was. That was, of course, the knock. We knew, of course, we know all about Fulmer. You know, his immense talent, and it's definitely a loss. But picking up a player of the caliber of Yoannis Cespedes, it just can't even be, you know, it just shows you that the Mets are serious, at, at the very least, about doing something. And I think the Mets had to do this trade. There was a lot of talk about Jay Bruce from the Reds, who was an inferior player to Cespedes. Good, but, you know, basically another Lucas Duda. Speaking of which, Duda is on, is on a monster tear, but that's neither here nor there. When you look at Cespedes, um, you look at a guy who's young. He's only been in the league four years. You know, he's Cuban-born. Um, you know, he's been on a few teams, which is that's the only thing that's a little bit concerning. Um, but let, let's look at his stats, sir. Uh, in 2012, I mean, I'm going to go year by year, you know, from 2012 until now. 23 homers, 82 RBI, 292 batting average. 26, 80, 240. That's a terrible batting average. Uh, the next year... 22, 100, 260. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. He, in 2004, what the hell is this? It doesn't even make sense. All right, there, there's some sort of, oh, never mind. So he's coming, he was traded, um, you know, he was traded his totals. 22, 100, 260, not bad. And in 2015, his, his stats so far are uh, 18, 65, batting 294. So his, his average has fluctuated a little bit. But, you know, he's back close to 300. The guy can, can knock in, you know, over 100 or close to 100. He can hit over 20 home runs. You're talking a guy who can easily do 25, 100, you know, with, with the Mets. 
and um, and be a huge presence in their lineup. And it goes to show you because the game they won on Saturday, they won because Duda was hitting hot. But the fact that they, they intentionally walked Cespedes to pitch to Duda, which burned them, and it, it tells you, sir, when you have a big bopper in the lineup that is that, that talented as Cespedes, you have a threat and people are going to pitch around him, which means other guys are going to get good pitches to hit there. Well, uh, let's let's rewind just a little bit. What, what I want to know is um, at what point did the Mets ownership and Sandy Olerson decide that they were going to still go for another bet? Was it the fact that they knew that the backlash was going to be so bad uh, for not getting Gomez, or did they have something uh, with Detroit? Because I, I think Detroit – Pretty much, you could tell was in a rebuild mode, so they weren't going to, you know, they weren't going to be upset by losing Cespedes, especially if, if they weren't going to contend this year. I mean, they started trading pieces off, so uh, Cespedes made the right, made the right sense. It made sense for the Mets to go after him because, again, the Tigers were not going to go anywhere this year. So I want to know who contacted who. I mean, if your guess, if you were to guess, were you would you say? that the Wilpons told Sandy, or did Sandy tell the Wilpons, listen, we could get Cespedes, the Tigers aren't going nowhere, I'm sure we could just give up uh, somebody like Fulmer. Um, Do you think that's how the deal went down? Well, from what I've read, um, they were very, and the Tigers were very insistent on getting Fulmer. You know, they wanted Fulmer, they they held their ground, and Sandy was like, you know what, he's he's a good player, let's give up. I mean, you got to give up talent to get talent, and that's a fact. And the Mets did that. The Mets didn't give up the Sorry, player. I think the problem, though, is I think the problem that the Mets have here is you know they're not going to resign him most likely because he has a clause in his contract where if he's not signed five days after the World Series ends, then he has to become a free agent. The Mets won't be able to resign him until May 2016, which of course is a month into the season. So odds are he's not getting signed. He's probably going to want a lot of money, but I think the Mets should sign him. I think this guy is going to bring imagine, – imagine David Wright gets healthy and he's half the player he used to be. Imagine Travis Darnell finally stays healthy and he's half the player he, he could be. You put these guys – due to hitting 30 home runs, you put these guys in this lineup, you know, Conforto will get his first home run yesterday. The Mets can have a very good team, sir. Don't you think that you're going against exactly what you said last week when you said that um, baseball is like a now thing where – we shouldn't even focus about next year. I mean, this is now that we got Cespedes, I would think that we we would mostly focus on this year with this young pitching, this great starting pitching that we have, and now we have actually have a lineup that is pretty formidable, especially if Dave Wright comes back and is half the man or half the player that he was because that's another bet that you have to give uh, a little props to. So um, I think that we focus on this year and this year only and worry about next year next year because – at this point, the Mets are starved for getting to back to the playoffs. They're starved for a title, no less. And um, I think that we just need to really focus. And you know that Cespedes is going to have a great year this year. He's going to have to try hard because he is a free agent at the end of this year, so he's going to want that big contract. So I think it's a win-win all around. I think realistically, um, you know, it, the Mets would be the Mets, forget about winning a World Series. The Mets need a winning season this year, which they haven't done in six years. Um, interestingly enough, the other team who is just as bad is the Astros, and they're one of the better teams in baseball this year. You know, the Mets are, they went from on Thursday losing that horrible game, being four, three games out, to now being a game up, and they're, they're just doing, they're in first place by themselves, you know, so they went from second to first. Again, Cespedes hitting three doubles yesterday, just raking the ball, missing home runs, you know, by very little. Could have easily had a three-homer game. Um, but, you know, the only reason I talk about next year is because it, it, you think about it, like, what's going to happen next year? Yes, the Mets do need to win now, and they are in win now mode. Clearly, they went after it. And this deal, the Cespedes deal, makes the trade for, you know, Aribe, Johnson, and Clifford that much better because it goes to show you, you know, those are the types of moves, and I did say this last week, sir, if you remember, I did say that those moves are good when you've made that, you've got that big slugger and that big bat, and those are the types of moves you make to improve overall, and it's kind of like the finishing touches. So the Mets did it in reverse. They did the smaller pieces first, and they got the big bat. If they hadn't gotten that big bat, then those pieces are really meaningless, other than meaning the Mets are not the worst offensive team in baseball anymore. Yeah. But the Mets do have a pretty decent lineup. You know, it's not scary, but the fact that you have somebody like Cespedes where, you know, he's going to provide protection. People are going to pitch around him, meaning other guys are going to get better pitches to look at and to swing at. 
So he's a difference maker. You know, again, if you throw David Wright on this team, which, of course, he's a long way from being the old David Wright, but if imagine this team with Cespedes and Wright, sir. I've always said David Wright is not a number one guy. He's a number two type of guy, and that would that would be amazing. That would. And, again, being on this roller coaster, starting with Thursday with the trade that didn't happen, then against Cespedes on Friday uh, on the trade deadline, the 31st, and then all of a sudden the Mets go into face the Nationals at home, and I guess Flores sets the tone by winning a walk-off home run in the 12th, um, 12th inning, which is pretty ironic for a guy that was probably going to get, you know, was supposedly going to get traded and actually wins it for the right. Mets, sets the tone. And then Duda, like you were saying before, I think Duda has woken up again, and he's just hitting, like, the ball off the cover. Um, it's just... It's, yeah, the ball off the cover, the cover off the ball, whatever. <laughs> I know you're going to get that one, so I have to say it. Um <laughs> But Duda, if you if you do look at the lineup, though, honestly, if uh, Darno comes back and he stays healthy, he's a pretty good hitter. Murphy's a really good hitter. Um, the last couple of years, he's really been a good hitter. If Duda starts picking up, and you got Granderson, um, Cespedes, and then hopefully Wright comes back, I mean, I think it's a pretty decent lineup considering their starting pitching is. I mean, I'm going to say it, it's 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 dominant, and I think that. That that starting pitching could carry you a long way, especially if you have a decent offense. And now I feel like the Mets have a decent decent offense. No, they do. You know, again, that one player makes all the difference because look at, I mean, honestly, Duda was was raking the ball before Cespedes got here, but taking all the pressure off him and putting on somebody else means wow. Okay, now I can hit, and that's what he's done for for the past you know week and some change. I mean, he's been on a, on a roll. You know, he set the Mets all time record for most games, most home runs, uh, most games in a row, you know, hitting home runs. So I think he's got like nine homers in nine games or eight homers in, in nine, nine homers in eight games. I mean, he's been on fire and, you know, again, good stuff by him. Um, the Mets are just doing, they're just doing a, a good job and they finally got their stuff straight, which is nice. They actually traded, uh, I believe, Alex Torres to the athletics today and they got Eric O'Flaherty who's lefty. So getting rid of Torres is another great thing because he stinks. Um, but the truth story is that the Mets are finally a team that's not a laughing stock. And now people are picking them to do something in the playoffs because, you know, the fact that they have this great pitching and now they have a legit hitting. I mean, the Mets went from just two weeks ago being the worst offensive team in baseball, having no shots, to people now thinking, wow, this team could do some damage. And just with a couple of minor, you know, a couple of moves, the Mets are a very good team. Yep. And the Mets, you know, this past weekend they throw, you know, DeGrom out there, they throw Harvey and Syndergaard. And, uh, I mean, they they were basically showcased. Uh, they showcased their stuff uh, each one of them, uh, and I think Syndergaard was probably the best performance of the um, the three. I mean, he was just laying it up on on Sunday night on ESPN for all the all the nation to see. I just think that at this point, uh, with the confidence that they have, and I don't know what's up with the Nationals. I don't know if it's injuries or uh, I think that team for some reason just doesn't have the right chemistry. And I think that sometimes chemistry plays a big role in um, the way teams play. And for whatever reason, the Nationals haven't run away with the division this year. They have had injuries, but again, so have the Mets. I mean, you look at them; they've had injuries. So, uh, for whatever it's worth, the Mets are up one game um, right now. They, I think, uh, yeah, the Nationals and the Mets both won again tonight. So the Mets are still one game up. But uh, what a turnaround from being four games, uh, three or four games out last week to a game up. I think that you got to keep the momentum now and just you got to beat these teams that they play. I mean, the rest of the schedule, the rest of the way, sir, is pretty easy um, considering they play a lot of. Th- games within their division, and their division really sucks this year. Yeah, they do. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's a bad division. And the Mets have – apparently the Mets have, like, the easiest schedule in all of baseball. So the Mets have to make a difference there. They absolutely have to make a difference. Why was you know, Eric Campbell good. playing? Can you can you explain yeah. that to me? I know the Mets won, but why was this guy playing? I'm not sure. But, you know, typical Mets, like, you know, I, I'm – I'm always a little bit cautious. Like after the Mets swept the Nationals, I was I was worried that you know typical Mets they'd fall flat and come to Florida where there's probably like maybe five thousand people in the in the uh, the stands and they'd fall flat and they'd lose like two out of three to the Marlins. But uh, great sign by the Mets uh, yesterday, you know, lighting it up offensively and Bartolo Colon pitched oh, a pretty decent game himself. Yeah. yeah, unbelievable, and, and he even got himself an RBI single, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I remember getting a text from you saying, you know, save some runs, but so they went and they won 5-1 to one tonight. So the Mets are on a roll right now. I mean, the Mets could run off 10 games in a row, just like they did at the beginning of the year, sir, and, you know, separate themselves from the Nationals. The Mets just have to keep winning. 
Again, they have the talent. They finally have the talent. It's nice to see. And uh, so honestly, Shea stated, City Field was rocking. It hasn't rocked like that in years. Really since Ever, probably. The Mets have, yeah, the Mets haven't been good since City Field opened. So, yeah, it's the first time. It's the first time since the old Shea Stadium. And the Mets, again, they're winning games in exciting fashion. You, how ironic is it that, that the first game of the series with the Nationals, the guy who got traded was going to get traded, Michael uh, Michael Wilmer Flores. Wilmer Flores. Jeez, uh, I'm all over the place. Wilmer Flores ends up, you know, like you said, getting driving in both runs and winning the game. And the next night, Lucas Duda drives in all three runs and wins the game. I mean, what are the odds of that? You know, and then, of You're course, right. the Sunday game. I mean, hell, the Mets, the Mets are just good, Fred. They're just a damn good team. Let, let's, you know, let's be honest. And they have so much talent on the team. And, when, again, when could you have ever imagined to say that, that the Mets have talent on their team? Yeah, I mean, I know, like, at the beginning of the year, they the Bartolo Colon opened the season, that, and it was considered whatever their ace or whatever their starting pitching. Yeah. Uh, but but when you look at this team in terms of starting pitching, when when John Neese and Bartolo Colon, uh, the back end of the rotation, because I'm, I'm trying to rank them in terms of how good they are, I, I consider them the number four and five, obviously, at the starting rotation. When those guys pitch right. one-run ball, I mean, this team could win easily ten games in a row because – uh, Syndergaard and and Degrom and Harvey and even Harvey we we mentioned last week that he's not a hundred percent this year but I feel like with some adrenaline and some like um, infusion of like Cespedes I feel like Harvey now is going to have a great rest of the year and obviously Degrom is having a great year and Syndergaard being called up I mean this team again with four and five if you have four and five as Nice and Cologne I, I start thinking playoffs sir I know that's really premature. But I think with this pitching staff, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm starting to think big already. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, you gotta you gotta calm down. As fans, we have to calm down. But at the same time, sir, it's I think it's okay to have a good feeling about this team. Why? Because the Mets front office did what they never do, and they did it in their way because they don't have any contracts really. You know, there's no money committed, but they still made the team incredibly better. I mean, if you could grade the Mets before and after, the Mets are pretty much an A now when they used to be a C, let's be honest, if not, you know, a C minus. And the Mets are probably in A territory in terms of talent at this point, just from a couple of moves and, of course, one big move. You know, but the Mets have overhauled, they've overhauled the feeling around the team. They've overhauled everything because now they're winning. Now they're hitting. Guys who you didn't, you didn't expect to hit are hitting. Um, and, again, you have this big bopper in the lineup who's going to provide protection. The Mets have – the Mets are good. They're very good, and I can't believe I'm saying that. And, you know, to, to, let's, let's backtrack for a second on that. At the beginning of the year, neither one of us would be any good. I didn't think it. You didn't think it. I thought they'd have another losing season. I was close to it up until recently. I was very close to that prediction. But for anybody to think that the Mets would be this good at this point and be in first place in August, you are on crack. Because the truth of the matter is the Mets are not here right now if they don't have Cespedes, if they don't have, these, the, you know, these other guys that they've traded for. The Mets don't make these moves. The Mets, the Mets are probably buried by now. Let's be honest, sir. And that is not the talent they started the year with. So the fact that they're here now is because of trades and moves. It's not because the Mets were this good from the beginning of the year. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree with that. I mean, nobody thought that uh, the Mets would be bringing up Syndergaard this year. I don't think that with the Parnell injury, I don't think people – a lot of people have question marks on Familia. So all those pieces obviously contributes to a winning season. And um, I, I agree with you. Uh, nobody thought at the beginning of the year. And look at what – the you know, the injuries have – the injuries to Parnell and to David Wright have, um, I think, turned the, the fortune around this team. I think that now people have stepped up. The Mets decide that this is the year to pull the trigger on those young guns and bring them up with Harvey. And with that comes – the reason why I'm really excited, uh, not only do I think that the starting pitching is really good, but I feel like there's so much parity in baseball. There's not one dominant team in the National League. Yeah, the Cardinals have a good record, but you know what? They don't have Chris Carpenter. They have some other good starting pitching, but, you know, nobody really scares me in the National League. The only team, I mean, I don't want to put the horse before the, the cart. Is that right? The horse before the cart? Yeah, I think that is. No, is it, I think it's the cart before the horse, actually, because the horse always goes in front of the cart. So there you go. Beautiful. 
but you know, like if you ask me, like the the one team that I'd I'd want to face right now because I want that rematch from 15 years ago is if the Mets are going to be good and, and go all the way and get to the World Series, I, I want them to play the Yankees because I want a rematch from 2000, and I want the, all the Yankees fans to shut the hell up after the Mets starting pitching just dominates that offense. I think the Mets starting pitching would dominate just about any offense, and the thing is, that's that's the the. What's what's the word I'm looking for here? That's the whole crux of the situation. So if the Mets get into the playoffs and they hit decently, they're gonna do damage because they have a, probably one of the best, well not probably definitely one of the best starting rotations in all of baseball. And those guys, the you know the Harveys, the Ground, Tindergard, they can dominate. They will dominate. And I think the Mets, if the Mets get in, the Mets get out of the first round. I think the Mets go far, sir. Honestly. And, I mean, if the, if the Mets could ever win a World Series, that would be amazing because at the end of the day when they don't resign anybody and all these guys are gone because I don't think any of them are under contract for next year, you know, we can live off this World Series like we've done in the past, what, you know, 30 years. We can live off this one for another 30. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I would take – I mean, at this point it's win now and like let's worry about next year and next year. I, do, I did say to you, and I don't know if I mentioned to everyone on the air, but – I would try to rip up some of these contracts if there are, if they have any contracts, and try to sign these starting pitching, you know, to long-term deals. I mean, give them like ten million dollars a year now, and don't let them wait until free agency or a year before free agency to lock them up. Because, like you said, I don't want to see Matt Harvey as a New York Yankee. I mean, that that would be a nightmare for me, especially if they win the World Series. The Mets, and um, you know, in a, in a few years, the Mets can't re-sign him because he wants whatever twenty-seven million dollars a year. Um, at this point, rip up the contracts now or at the end of this year if they win the whole thing and, and sign these people long-term and, you know, hopefully have a little dynasty going. I mean, for once, I think the Mets fans and the Mets organization, there's, there's a little, you know, winning as opposed to always losing. I mean, I know that I'm a Jet fan and I'll never see a Super Bowl and you're being a Giant fan. Right. You are you know you know what it is to be a winner, but um, it's time for the <laughs> Mets. And now, I think it's now's the time because think about this. In in the eighties when the Mets had that starting that dominant dominant starting pitching, they only won one title. I don't know if that was drug related right. or just the team oh, just didn't get along. Drug and Frank yeah, so, related also. So let this be the era of the Mets now. Forget about the eighties. Let's forget about eighty six. Let's move on and win a couple titles. I know we uh, that's definitely putting the cart before the horse. Uh but I, I think that the, the with this starting pitching, as long as they stay healthy and you know, that's a big if, obviously, because you see Wheeler is out with Tommy John, uh, and, you know, Matt Harvey just came back from Tommy John. I, I think that I agree with you more than ever that it's a now it's a now sport. you got to win now. If you got the guns, you got the, the, the horses, let's giddy up and go because at this point there's no dominant team in baseball. Yes, the Yankees are, are playing good, but I, I think that starting pitching always beats, you know, good hitting. So at this point we have the best starting pitching, I think. I agree, and you know it is a win now time, and the Mets need to win. The Mets need to go out, so they need to do it. And again, the, the atmosphere at City Field was amazing, from what I've heard. I mean, they were, that place was rocking; it was packed. You know, second most amount of people. You know, second highest attendance, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this team has a chance to do something special, and I hope they do. I hope we're not talking about how the Mets came short. You know, come October, but we'll see, sir. You know, we can't get ahead of ourselves, but it's it's exciting to be a Mets fan. I'll say that much. Yep, from the highest of high, from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, the Mets have definitely done that to every Mets fan the past seven days. So, um, so that that's really all I have on the Mets. We should take a break, and unfortunately, again, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, we'll come back and talk about the WWE and the passing of probably one of the biggest legends of all time. So let's take a quick break and uh, talk some WWE when we get back. Oh, wait, wrong music. Huh, what's the name of your shop? Uh, Pure Gold. Pure Gold? Yes, sir. Hi, this is Morgan Willard, Miss Oklahoma, USA 2010. Make sure to check out Pure Gold every week at puregoldpg.com. Dave and Joe always bring the best in entertaining talk radio and great guests like me. I got two words for you. Pure Gold. Hey guys, this is actress Sadie Alexandru, and you are listening to Pure Gold. 
And I gotta say congratulations to Sadie. I'm gonna call her Shady. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she just had her she just had her baby. I know she's pregnant, so I'm pretty sure or was pregnant. So I'm pretty sure she had a baby. I, I could be wrong about that, but uh, you know, gotta give uh gotta give props to her. So I'm Lisa Mateo of the Pix Eleven Morning News in New York and you're listening to Pure Gold. Thank you, Lisa. Yes, we are Lisa, thank you so much. Yeah, it's midnight, so it is it's it's uh one day Shout out to Ronda Rousey Joe for winning Washington. her. What's up, Joe? Hey, Mike. What's up? So, a big shout out to Ronda Rousey for winning her bout in 34 seconds. Uh, that's the ultimate fighting. And uh, you know, her nickname is uh, Rowdy, as you know, right, sir? Yeah, and she dedicated her fight to uh, Rowdy Piper. Rowdy Rowdy Piper, who just passed away, unfortunately, this weekend. You know, I have to play this now. We're going to get back to Rowdy Piper in a second. But uh, this is how I felt on Thursday. Uh, when I, on Friday when I didn't think the Mets were going to make a trade. Just substitute the M, the J for an M. <laughs> yep. I actually thought about that clip, and I couldn't wait to do the show just to hear. I was going to record my own Mets go to hell, but, um, you know, we covered that in the first half of the show. And, sir, uh, let, let's talk a little uh, sports entertainment. And, again, we, we briefly touched on it, but the fact that Rowdy Rowdy Piper passed away of cardiac arrest at 861, I was very sad about that. He is one of the greats. Um, he transcended the, the you know sport entertainment world. He is truly just. I don't think honestly. I don't think you can say there's a better heel ever than Roddy Piper, sir. And if not, he's he's arguably like the top two or top three. I think you know when I heard the news, I was really shocked and devastated. Being a wrestling fan for so many years, uh, Roddy Piper is the, the 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 heel that you love to to cheer because he made being a heel cool. I think he even said that one time. Um, but he was really, um, you know, just uh, when I found out that Dusty Rhodes had passed away, um, I was shocked. When I found out that Roddy Piper passed away, I was even more shocked. So to put that into perspective, I mean, it was just really sad to hear that he had passed away. And I know the WWE did a good little package with him, uh, a little video package last night on Raw, but I really got to know Roddy Piper not only the the per, uh, the wrestler, but the, you know, I don't think he was acting that much. But if you watched on the WWE Network Legends House, I mean, you you found out a lot about Roddy Piper battling depression, battling insomnia, stuff like that. I mean, the the demons that he battled uh, for, throughout his life were incredible, and to see his career um, go from the ups and downs, just like the the Mets last week uh, had the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. Roddy Piper's career, if you read the article on online onslaught or com, I'll give a shout-out to the Rick. Um, the Roddy Piper, wow. I mean, again, popular, then gets, you know, the motor gets fired, gets released, and then he had these ups and downs throughout his career. But all in all, sir, he made WrestleMania 1. As big as Hulk Hogan made WrestleMania 1, he made WrestleMania 1 on the heel side because – there was no way that Hulk Hogan was going to go over unless he had a an, a, a great heel like Rowdy Piper. You're right. Uh, you're absolutely right. Hogan, he was almost as big a heel as Hogan was a face. Because let's, let's be honest, Hogan is the biggest face of all time. Nobody comes close. Not Austin, who wasn't even a true face. Not Cena. Hogan was over more over than anybody. When Hogan was hot, nobody comes close. Honestly, I don't think that. I really don't think that's in question. But Piper was able to match that level of face with his, with his own brand of heel. And obviously not physically intimidating like Hogan, but, man, the guy could go in the ring. The guy was a great, you know, great on the microphone, great personality, just one of the greatest ever. And, again, you said it, the Rick said it. His involvement in WrestleMania 1 was just, was just top-notch. I don't think anybody, as much as I think Hulk Hogan was irreplaceable in the first WrestleMania main event, I think Piper was irreplaceable in the same main event, sir. I agree. And the fact that um, Rowdy Piper, um, you know, just looking at his career, I mean, in, in an era that that wrestling was big in the, the 80s, um, he, he really never won any major title except the Intercontinental title. Um, he beat the Mountie, I think, at some little few that they had. So he, he did win one title. But he, yeah. his his mark 
um, on the sport on the sports entertainment world will be his the the way he delivered a promo. And I feel like his show right. Piper's Pit started every other show. So you had the, you know the funeral parlor, you had Brother Love show after that. So Piper's Pit, I think, and his just the way he delivered his heel promos is where he'll leave his mark in the sports entertainment world. Right. I agree. I mean, it definitely was that. And, you know, he wasn't the guy who needs – look, we're talking about him as the greatest heel of all time, arguably, without any title runs. I mean, he was he was the WWE Tag Team Champ with Ric Flair for a brief time, um, if I'm not mistaken, in the WWE. He was the Intercontinental Champion, like you said, but really he was also a U.S. Champion, I think, a couple of times in WCW, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I mean, the man had a hell of a career, so let's be honest. And But really it's not about the titles. Hogan was synonymous with all of his ridiculous, you know, title reigns and everything else. Flair with 16 title reigns. But the fact that Piper could be that big without the title reigns speaks volume for for him as a as a promoter, sir. It does. And, you know, he, again, as a performer, I don't if, even know why I said promoter. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, don't worry. We probably, um, you know, whatever, muted that out anyway. But uh, the fact that he <laughs> passes at the age of 61 and – um, you know, recently we've had a couple deaths in the sports entertainment world. Again, Dusty Rhodes back in June and now Hot Rod. It's just uh, these are the people that, as kids, well, I mean, now we're like big kids, I guess, or just losers, I guess, for watching, continuing to watch wrestling. But these are the guys that, losers. like, everybody remembers. I mean, you ask my friends that don't watch wrestling for the past 10 years, they obviously know who Roddy Piper was. So these, these guys that are passing away, um, it's very unfortunate, and 61 is just way too young to uh, unfortunately pass away. What I found interesting was if you saw the the, the video package, considering that the, you said that the WWE wants to erase everything to Hogan related, they showed like maybe two or three pictures of Piper with Hogan uh, in the picture. So not completely erased, but uh, they they did show him some pictures with Piper and Hogan uh, during that video package last night. Well, I don't think there's any way you can get away from Piper and not have Hogan in it. There's just no way. I mean, again, WrestleMania 1, Piper was there. Um, you know, you got to have Hogan. And the whole, the whole Hogan thing still pisses me the hell off. And it's funny because Piper came to Hogan's defense over this whole thing, um, interestingly enough. But uh, I'm looking at Piper's career in WCW, and he was the he was the U.S. Title, title holder three different times. So he definitely had, you know, a little bit more success, quote-unquote. I mean, hell, one of his title rings lasted two weeks. <laughs> Another title reign, let me see, and that was that was late. That was in the, the you know late nineties when they were just giving out titles. You and I could have gotten title reign if we had walked in there. In eighty three, he held the title for two weeks, also exactly two weeks, and his first title reign oh seven months. So he had one decent title reign in the course of his career. But um, you know, again, a guy who just didn't need the title. And it's true, these guys are passing away, and it's just sad. The next big guy I can think of, I mean, when Hogan passes away, I'll be in mourning for like a month. I mean, there's there's no way that I would even be able to move on with my life after that. That That's going to be devastating to me, even after all he said and all he's done. But, I mean, Piper is up there, sir. I was very sad when I heard about the news. Very very sad. I mean, so another legend that passed away, I mean, I, saw, I have this picture that I kept for myself on Facebook, Shows all the people that have passed away. Obviously, one person is not in that picture, but you you have like people like Macho Man, you have Elizabeth, you have uh, all these people: Dusty Rhodes, Paul Bearer. Um, I don't know his real name. I forget his real name off the top of my head. But William Moody. There you go. Um, all these people. Um, you know, I I can't say that most wrestlers live to be a long and they don't live to be long and healthy. Um, the these wrestlers, uh, for whatever reason, and again, I think Roddy Piper's problems watching Legend House was at least, uh, from what I saw, was the fact that he battled insomnia and depression. And I don't know if it was all the medicine he was taking or or um, the stuff that was antidepressants, but, um, you know, 61, and, and to hear about Piper, I, I, I that was a shock to me. I, I If you looked at Dusty Rhodes over the last couple of years, you saw that guy lost an incredible amount of weight especially when he reunited with Dusty and uh Dustin and um his uh his other son um Cody. So uh you you could see that something was up with him. I, I I did not expect to hear Piper passing away this past Friday. Um total shock to me, total shock. 
Yeah, big, big sad. You know, it's a, it's a big hole left by Piper. It was sad, sir. I was, I was definitely not. Um, you know, it, it hit me hard. I, I can't, I can't lie. And again, when I look at Savage, Randy Savage, and he passed away, that hit me hard. Warrior was the Warrior dying was really difficult because we were actually doing a show when it, when he passed away. Um, right. And I broke the news to you guys, you and Pyro, who uh, was on the air with us. And it was just he. We had just seen him. We had just saw. You know, he was there the day before. He was there at WrestleMania, and it just that was just bizarre. There's no other way around it. It's just totally bizarre. You know, almost like the equivalent of Hogan coming back, you know, winning the title and then dying the next day. Like, it was just a, just such a big, strange thing, you know. And I, I was never the biggest Warrior fan, but that was weird and sad at the same time because he was so prominent in our minds. It's not like he disappeared, you know, because Dusty's behind the scenes in WWE. Roddy, we haven't seen him in a while. I mean, these guys are at the forefront. Warrior was at the forefront. He passed away, so... You know, again, just the sadness that comes upon you when you hear about your childhood stars passing away. And Hogan is the only Hogan and Flair are the only two guys that I can think of who are still around. Um, you know, of that generation who really just when they pass away, the wrestling world is going to stop. Yeah. What's also interesting is that you mentioned how we were doing the show when you told us about the war with Warrior passing, and then I I think about you know when we were together for other passings i mean i'm just going to mention like we were together for the that whole chris benoit debacle but you know other deaths like you know owen hart and even finding out about eddie guerrero junior um those deaths were really shocking and sad i mean i'm sure you remember that night at, uh watching that i don't remember what the paper was called but um owen hart passing away um and even you know eddie guerrero uh, finding out that yeah, over the edge, and and, and Eddie Guerrero passing away. I mean, those, those were probably probably the most devastating, shocking deaths in the wrestling world, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, Eddie Eddie Guerrero was weird too because he was scheduled to compete at the pay per view. Well, you know, this is great. You know, him and and Benoit, Benoit, when he everything that happened with him, he was scheduled to compete at the pay per view and win the ECW title. He was in the main event, and then that's when CM Punk and John Morrison fought. Um, I think actually Johnny Nitro at the time before he became Morrison, and Benoit, of course, everything that happened with him. And then Eddie Guerrero, he was scheduled to win the title at an upcoming pay-per-view at the World Heavyweight Championship against Batista, and they had to pull him and, you know, replace him with somebody. So it's just, just wrestling, wrestling deaths are always horrible, and they're always weird, and, you know, nobody seems to go and old age, die in their old age. It's always something bad or just weird circumstances or, you know, weird timing. I mean, I know this is a weird question to ask you, but you, you know, you've heard of the superstition or the saying that like things, unfortunately, the bad things happen in three. Yeah, that's superstition. I don't buy that type of stuff. All right. I mean, I know you won't buy it. And I, I, I try not to buy it to be honest with you. But you had Dusty Rhodes two months ago pass away, and then you had Roddy Piper. Let's just hope that that super, super, su- stupid superstition doesn't happen because, I, you know, it'd be sad to lose another person in the wrestling world because it would be that, that stupid thing about three things happening in three. Yeah, you're right there. Hey, a total side note, um, I'm reading a Piper, you know, uh, the article you mentioned with the Rick, did you know that Piper never once lost the clean to Hulk Hogan and was never pinned by him? Yeah, I did, and that's I why I thought that. the article was really... Yeah, the article is really good, and um, I, I suggest that you read the whole thing after we go off the air. The only other thing about wrestling I want to mention was, uh, and sports sports entertainment related, is the fact that John Cena took on Seth Rollins last week for the U.S. Open uh, for the U.S. Open title challenge, and um, suffered a broken nose and still was able to wrestle and finish that match, which was pretty incredible. If you see the pictures and the video of John Cena breaking his nose with Seth Rollins when he gets a knee to the nose. By Seth Rollins, I, I thought that, you know, we, we ripped John Cena when we call him Super Cena, but in that regard, in this regard, he was actually Super Cena, was able to finish the match, and it was a pretty, actually a really good match, if you ask me. Uh, I didn't watch it, but I still have it on my DVR to watch, because I, I saw the pictures of his nose, and it looks pretty bad, sir. <laughs> it looks pretty bad. And now they're, they're setting up for, and I think Cena will be ready in time for SummerSlam. He had some emergency surgery to to fix his nose because he had some breathing situation. Uh, right after that, I think he was taken to a hospital, and they performed some, some surgery on his nose. Uh, so the the big stick now is that Seth Rollins is challenging John Cena, and it's going to be a title-for-title title match. So, um, you know, at this point, I don't think John Cena is actually going to win the World Heavyweight title. So I, I can see Seth Rollins actually winning 
um, somehow and keeping both. Uh, obviously, he's going to relinquish the U.S. title the ne- next night, and then they'll probably have like a tournament, and you'll have somebody like um, either Cesaro or even Kevin Owens or something like that win the U.S. title, even Neville. And let me tell you this, sir, if you didn't get a chance to watch Raw last night, the match between Seth Rollins and Neville uh, to start Raw was incredible. I mean, let me ask you first, did you watch the match? No, again, I have it on my DVR. I didn't watch it. I heard, I heard something about the stipulation being he would do like an op, U.S. Open title challenge with the World Heavyweight title um, right. as long as the guy was under six foot, under two foot. Right. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen Neville wrestle. He's a hell of a wrestler. I've seen him and Owens go out. I've seen him and, you know, uh, Bo Dallas go out of the NXT. I mean, the guy is incredibly talented. Again, the What's whole this? one name thing, last name thing is weird to me, but, uh, you know, the, I heard the match was good. Yeah, what's his finishing move again? What's what's it called? Something arrow. The red arrow, I believe it's called the red arrow. Yeah, when he when he when he, he hits, he actually hits the red arrow against Seth Rollins, and at that point, I really thought that we we're going to have a new world heavyweight champion. But the way he goes for the pin, um, I totally disregard to see the. You'll see that like his foot flies on top of the rope, so the referee's ready to count the third time, and then at the last split second, looks up and sees Seth Rollins' foot on the rope. Great match, sir. After this, definitely watch it or tomorrow and let me know what you think of that match. Um, and the only other thing about wrestling, which I think you'll find interesting, is that your boy, the Green Arrow, is going to show up next week on Raw. I love, you know, the show Arrow. I, I love the fact that I gave you my Netflix password and everything to watch it and, like, the garbage that you are. You never did see it. But at the same time, as good of a job as I think Stephen Amell does, you know, on the show, I don't understand why the WWE thinks he's that big of a television star, which he's not, by the way. He's a, he's a big of a star to have him show up at SummerSlam and that people are going to tune in. I can't imagine anybody's going to give a crap that he's going to be in SummerSlam other than the hardest of hardcore fans because he's just not that big of a, of a, of a star, sir, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it has to do with the whole stardust and wanting to challenge superheroes for whatever reason. I, I don't know what the stick is uh, or the promo on that is, but Arrow will be on Raw next week, so that, that you know, at the very least should should pique your interest. And I guess the only other wrestling segment that I want to mention to you is, and this is where I lose all credibility, again, with the WWE. I don't know if you know this, but on the WWE website, there's a uh, power rankings. Uh, they do, like, 1 through 20, I believe. Can, yeah. If, if, uh, I just want you to guess. And I'm sure that you'll guess it because I'm going. This is just absurd, and it's this is why you know wrestling is fake, and why you know I I don't, I gotta get Sabrina off to watch it because this is this really makes me sick. So can you guess off you know off the top of your head who's ranked number three in the power rankings this this week in the WWE? Number three. Um, yeah, who's who's ranked John, number three? John Cena. I mean that's a good guess. He's actually ranked number one after the couple of matches he's put on, which I give I have I give him all the credit in the world. But um, I, I, we got to end the show here. But I I would love to have you go off on a rant when I tell you that the Undertaker is ranked number three in the power rankings for the WWE. <laughs> I should have guessed it was the Undertaker. <laughs> Are you that's kidding me? That's pretty bad, sir. That is pretty bad. <laughs> yes. But does it does that surprise you? He hasn't wrestled since last WrestleMania when he beat Bray Wyatt, and he's ranked number three ahead of like Brock Lesnar and like the three other people that are, you know. Even Seth Rollins, I think, is either four or five. Uh, to me, it makes no sense. Yeah, on a side note, speaking of Seth Rollins, I was reading an article today, and you know, articles are what they are, people's opinions. But uh, this is on eWrestlingNews.com where um, somebody posted they thought like the five worst booked champions, you know, in recent memory in the WWE. Number five was Dolph Ziggler. Number four uh, was Christian, I believe. Number three was Rey Mysterio. I forget who number two was. And number one was was uh, Seth Rollins. And, oh, I'm sorry, CM Punk. CM Punk was, was number two or number one. And okay. uh, so it was between that order. It was, it was, again, you're talking Ziggler, when he won the World uh, WWE, the World Heavyweight Championship, not the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, but the World Heavyweight Championship, um, the big gold. Uh, it was Christian who had two really terrible title rings, one that lasted a couple of days and one that lasted a month, lost both times to Randy Orton. Um, Rey Mysterio, who was terribly booked and just given the title because that he had died, you know, he won the Royal Rumble that year. Um, CM Punk, who held the title 434 days, and Seth Rollins. And I thought it was interesting, and I never thought about Punk's title reign as, you know, one of the worst books, but 
they had an interesting stat in the year plus that he was champ, almost a year and a half. You know how many times he main evented a pay per view? Take a guess. You're talking over the course of like 17, 16, 17 pay per views. I'm going to guess like four. Five times, sir. Five times wow. that he main evented a pay per view. And they were against John Cena a couple of times. Uh, the Rock, when he lost uh, to The Rock, you know, he lost the title to him. And I yep. forget who the other one was, but uh, I think maybe it was Randy Orton or something, but. I mean, I, I kind of believe that. It was on. They were showing some of the, like, it was John Cena main event at a pay-per-view against John Laurinaitis. John Cena against Kane. Like, just terrible, terrible, you know, matches. And I never thought about that. But I was like, wow, you know, they, he really did kind of have, they just gave it to him for a long time, but he was not a memorable, you know, champ. If you take away the length of it, it really wasn't that great. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it really wasn't. And, uh, when you were mentioning, mentioning terrible bookings, I just thought about this terrible booking that could possibly happen, too. If Seth Rollins doesn't <laughs> win the World Heavyweight title, I could see Cena winning the World Heavyweight title and then Sheamus actually cashing in and then being the World Heavyweight champion. So, I mean, I don't think that's that the money... I could see that happening no matter, no matter who wins, to be honest with you. You can, right? Because I, I don't see yeah. uh, the money, the bag champion holding that belt, I mean, holding that briefcase all the way until WrestleMania again. So we've seen uh, Daniel Bryan win the World Heavyweight title or the WWE title at the time by being seen, and then Randy Orton, you know, Triple H and Orton turning on Daniel Bryan. So SummerSlam is usually the second, it is the second second biggest pay-per-view of the year. Now that's four hours, which, yeah, it's an absurd four hours. I could see Sheamus actually cashing in if John Cena does win the World, World Heavyweight title. I agree, sir. We'll see what happens. All right, sir. Well, thanks for uh, having a show. I thought that we were going to have to reschedule it for Thursday, but uh, Tuesday nights is probably the best night to recap because we can talk about Raw, we can mention the Mets, and uh, any other things that Pure Gold likes to talk about. Oh, do you know? Shame on you! Do you know where we were when I, when I went on those rants? Do you know I was in my kitchen, I believe, when we did that show? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised about it, sir. You were there. Oh, that's right, I was. <laughs> I forgot about that. I like turtles. All right, sir. Take us home, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Go to hell! Yes. <laughs> Folks, thank you for tuning in. Again, whoever's listening, we have no clue. Probably nobody. But thank you so much, Blog Talk Radio, for allowing us to even do this show. Um, it's kind of strange to be in the routine of doing, you know, two weeks in a row. I mean, this is the first time in a long time. We went that's from true. no shows and. Uh, what, a year, almost a year and a half? I forget how long it was, to now, you know, coming up with, or almost a year, to now coming up with two shows in a row. So that's a big deal, sir. So we're good for the two years, I think. I don't think we have to show up until 2017. Folks, thank you for tuning in. Check us out, beergoldpg.com. Make sure you tune in next week, where I do believe we will be back on Tuesday night, same time, 1134. Uh, woo! 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 <laughs> God, I love it, sir. Um, wait, 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 wait. Please stay! Oh, they sure do. What's the name of your show? Uh, pure Gold. Pure Gold? Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> Gold. You guys are awesome. Woo!